Hello everybody and welcome to a podcast of biblical proportions. Meanwhile in Mesopotamia. We're launching a new series titled Meanwhile in. In each episode of this series, we'll step out of the biblical bubble and look at what was going on at the time in other places in the region and beyond. Ancient Egypt, ancient Greece, ancient China and more. Starting today with ancient Mesopotamia. One cannot understand the Hebrew Bible and its point of view without understanding Mesopotamia. The Hebrews were telling their story in the shadow of the Colossus to the east. So what were the stories the Mesopotamians were telling themselves? How was their world created? What was their relationship with their deities? Who were their iconic characters? And what were their adventures? Let's dive in. And this week we want to give a shout out to Yenyo Pal. Thank you, Yenyo. Thank you, Yenyo, for becoming a member of the show. You're a great project. pal. <laughs> okay, so this is a very exciting episode for us. Because I think we're going to... For we're, you, maybe. <laughs> because I think that when we're going to look at the Bible from the perspective of the Roman Empire of its time, we're going to find out a lot of new things. Mm-hmm. Not Roman Empire, because it's, the place wasn't united all the time. It was fragmented and it yes. had periods of empires and city-states, empires and city-states. But it's all the over. same cultural, linguistic, yeah. religious, yeah. Yeah. political yeah. sphere. I, more, it's more like ancient Greece, maybe. It's like a, a sphere that is, shares some myths that are very close and gods that are very close to each other, share the same language and compete in city-states that sometimes a strong man comes and unites uh-huh. all the realms. Okay. Preserve. You said the Hebrew writers wrote in the shadows of the Colossus of the East. First of all, it's, 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 a, it's a nice way to, of putting it. Thank you. The culture that produced the Bible, it's the continuum of Mesopotamian culture. It's yes. like a distant echo. Mm, nice. That, yes. that, but the shout is a Mesopotamian shout. It's less of an Egyptian because yes. it's, mo- it's Semitic, basically. But, he, but there's even pre-Semitic. The shout began before uh, the Semitic people with the Sumerians. So yeah. it added on Semitic uh, tones. Layers, yeah. But it's a shout that is 10,000 years old. Yeah, Rever- reverberations of that shout <laughs> could be heard even still up to today. Basically, if you look at it like that, then the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, is some kind of a preservation of Mesopotamian culture and religion, Mm. either by being influenced directly by it and by the myths that it produced, or as a response to those myths. Yes, reacting to it, going the opposite way. You can't understand movies today if you don't understand Hollywood, exactly. the American movie industry. Exactly. Because exactly. you're either rejecting the American mm-hmm. uh, format of storytelling or you're reacting to it or you're embracing it or whatever it is. Whatever that you do, you are communicating with it. Yes. And you are echoing the system and the style and the ma- yes. mannerisms. And the production, the way that you yeah. produce it. Yeah, exactly. And approach it. Yeah. There's this incredible Italian movie from 2019, El Primo, Il Primo Re, The First King, that tells the story of uh, Remus and Romulus, mm. the foundation of Rome. That story is a, an Italian story, mm-hmm. <laughs> but... You can't really understand it if you don't see it in the context of 70 years 
of American mm-hmm. movie making of Rome, mm-hmm. incorporating Rome into their own yeah. psyche and self perception as the empire. And this movie, if you look at it that way, see this, they go back to before the mm-hmm. empire. It's in ancient Latin spoken. It's very raw, and obviously you don't you don't have CGI of huge buildings and huge armies. Mm. So it's a reaction. Okay, so these are the stories that the Americans tell about Rome. Yeah. Okay, we'll give you the real story. And the fact that it's in ancient Latin. Mm. Oh, we're not going to do the English, yeah. uh, British accent. Oh, uh, the, eli- for, uh, the elites are, uh, the elites are eaten. <laughs> of Rome. Yes. Imagine a Slovenian action film. Slovenia is like a mm. tiny place, two million population. So imagine that all, the only... Uh, movies that ever survived are Slovenian action movies. <laughs> okay, that's very specific. Very specific. And the way that Slovenians tell that story of that action hero becomes a religion that spreads all over <laughs> the world. Yes, it's exactly the same. Like It will have specific Slovenian themes, but obviously yeah, it will it's, speak yeah. American. Yeah. Like obviously. obviously. Yeah. So it's the same here. It's uh, the, the, the Slovenia of the... The Mesopotamian sphere, basically, which is without uh, basketball. Without, <laughs> yeah, 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 without basketball. I think it's a proper analogy, specifically because they also have a messiah. His <laughs> name is Luka Doncic. Okay, He's going to be the, one of the greatest basketball players ever. So yes, it fits. Yes, I'm not sure it fits with our audience though. <laughs> okay, so what? Are, so what are we going to do here? The way that we're going to look at it, we're going to go through the timeline of the Bible which means from the creation to the wor- of the world up to where we are now. Supposedly. Supposedly, like no, wh- where we are yeah. now in the podcast, yeah. which is the beginning of Jacob, which means how theologians put it in the timeline is like 1800 yeah. BCE. Yeah. We're going to go a little bit beyond it just to further explain some of the themes in the Bible, but basically we're going to start with the beginning of the creation of the world and end around 1800 BCE and see yeah. what was going on at the same time in Mesopotamia. Not only is it very interesting, but supremely relevant yeah. for the Bible in every, at every turn. Yeah. At every turn. So let's start at the beginning. The creation of the world. So the Hebrews, they had a few creation stories one like two at the beginning one of them is very distant and uh, calculated and deliberate yeah and the second one oh what a coincidence the world starts in mesopotamia yeah <laughs> that's how the hebrews did it it's as if the, the 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 slovenian action movie at the beginning would say the world started out in washington dc in uh, yeah. hollywood boulevard in the Holly- in hollywood boulevard yeah. between the river second avenue and the, the river and the third avenue rivendell or yeah. holland drive so how was their work right? so Mesopotamia let's just put it out there we say Mesopotamian is like a blanket term to all of the myths and yes. stories and you know religions and gods that were there it's basically similar their yes. perception is if you ask like a, an average Mesopotamian uh, yo <laughs> <laughs> uh, who created the world, and, you know, it will be, like, variation and of. of, basically, you had two forces. One of them is Tihamat, which we mentioned in the first creation story. In the time of chaos, there was, like, Choshech, Alpnei, Tehom, darkness the home is a over. Pit. Yeah, Tehom is a pit, or a... Crevasse. <laughs> a beast, more like a, a beast. Yeah. 
So basically, you're saying that the, the home, the pit, is actually a reference to this uh, Mesopotamian yeah. god. Yeah, as we like to say here, it's a catchphrase that uh, we will never put on merchandising. Don't worry, <laughs> archaeological remnant. Uh, the echo of the shout of uh, you know the Tiamat is uh, like an essence. You had two essences. They created uh, two opposing essences. I don't think they are totally described as opposing like yin and yang but like two essences before the gods they created the gods the mm. gods created servants like mini gods that will serve them those servants rebelled so they created humans in order to serve them pretty obvious that you are describing your own society and justifying the extreme social hierarchies the extreme social hierarchies and a very class-based society wow. it's like a polar opposite more or less to uh, to smaller human arrangements and gatherings that and have well. ruled the earth up to that point yeah from small bands to large bands to small settlements to mediocre settlements or a connection of you know settlements that maybe produce something like this or something like this The minute that you had a city, and it's no coincidence that in their own mind, the mythology, the city is created like the third. Uh, yeah. It's like one of the first things that are created are the cities. After even the in the Bible. Yeah, even though even the Bible. it took them thousands of years to have cities, and then those cities crumbled and then were came back like 500 years later. So it's not like the most prominent form of uh, of a social system in their history yeah. it is in the in Mesopotamia and they just accept it in the Bible and say oh okay so at first you had Babel and you had the, the God to intervene mm-hmm. to force people to spread out over the land which is obviously we know yeah. that it is not the way that it goes but they like they couldn't see beyond the cities yeah. because they started like you Four five thousand years four five thousand BCE yeah and they were uh, gathering writing their stories eight seven six hundred five hundred BC the Babylonian uh, tale is like a, a clear-cut anti-babylonian propaganda <laughs> because it's like a reaction of you think you have cities huh eh? you think you you have beaten nature you think you You can hide from the elements and from sandstorms and from hunger because you have vast connection of commerce and you have you can import export hmm, you think uh, you are you are all that you build a big house you know nature will destroy you yeah. that's like the the perception is the uh, of the the Genesis uh, writers and how they perceived themselves is kind of like anti-city anti not bourgeois but anti-city And their perception, if you just read the stories of their mythology, is a, it's a very elitist, elitist. Mesopotamian. Yeah, Mesopotamian. Super elitist religion. They had like three major gods, Enlil, Enki, and Anu, sometimes pronounced An, An. Uh, like, just to intervene, in pre-Canaanite uh, Israel, whatever you want to call it, Uh, archaeologists found in a lot of places uh, three different deities yeah. that they don't know their name or their purpose but like a triad of yeah. deities yeah that, that triad had like uh, you know uh, meetings and uh, <laughs> it would be anachronistic to say votes but it was like some kind of a council uh, decisions and roles 
were divided by a council. Because they had different cities yeah. that had to, you know, consult with each other. You didn't have like one city for the longest time that just like utterly dominated all yeah. the other cities. Yeah. So the gods were, their gods were similar in that way. Okay, so let's go back to the, to the biblical narrative. The Bible said that the world was created either uh, deliberately or in Mesopotamia. And then you have a garden in Mesopotamia. That's yeah. where the garden yeah. is. And then in the garden, you have the snake. Ah, it might be not, doesn't have to be Mesopotamian, but the snake is very prominent in uh, Mesopotamian mythology. But who the hell knows? But then I'm... In a lot of mythologies. This yeah, in a lot of mythologies. So it might be just like a global thing. But then it's very interesting that like the first uh, thing that happens after the Garden of Eden, the first thing that happens in the like realer world is the clash between Cain and Abel, between mm-hmm. two forms of society. Yeah. The one that works the ground mm-hmm. and the one that moves the around. Works the land. Works the land and the one that moves around. Yeah. So we're like... For them, the initial conflict is between people who are city dwellers, like the proto-city dwellers. Yeah. Settled society. Settled society. They are the, the, they are the violent ones. And the people who move around, they are not as violent, which is the exact opposite. The exact opposite of what like, uh, has been written down in history because cities, people who live in cities, they are the ones who wrote history. But it's interesting specifically... That's a projection the city dwellers will say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that this is like the first thing that happens in the like, realer world yeah, after, be- yeah. because this is Mesopotamian. This is not something that happened here. I'm sure it happened here, but since you didn't have a lot of settled societies here in the time, like in their back history, it's kind oh, of like settled societies here. Right? Jericho is one of the most. Okay, but it's, like if I would describe the first primal conflict of societies here, it wouldn't be yeah. the conflict between uh, yeah. city dwellers, proto city dwellers, and, and proto nomads. nomads. Yeah. No, this is the story. Of yeah. ancient Mesopotamia, they had uh, the Amorites coming over mm-hmm. and other peoples and sacking their cities, and it was just like always there because they had because the cities were huge yeah. and powerful and and expansive and imperialistic or proto-imperialistic, whatever it is. So basically, everybody just, was jealous. Everybody was jealous. So basically, they're just like accepting. Uh, Mesopotamian values and ideas about the ancient world. They're internalizing their... Uh, oppression. They're internalizing their oppressions through mythology, accepting as like a core rule of the universe the perception of Mesopotamians. Exactly. That's why it's very interesting to look at it like that. The sphere here is the Mesopotamian sphere. That's why we are deliberately not saying Assyrians, Babylonians, Neo-Assyrians... Sumerians, Akkadians, etc., etc. It's like different names of kind of like the same culture. First, the gods created like mini gods to serve them on earth, and then they rebelled, so they created the men. And also, when they created the humans, the, in one of the myths, the goddess Mami takes the blood. <laughs> Mami, Ima, Mama. And in Hebrew, in colloquial Hebrew, mommy is like sweetheart. Sweetheart, yeah. It's like babe. Mainstream people <laughs> call their, uh, you know, their... Significant other. Their significant other. Mommy. Mommy. 
Okay, so what did mommy do? Mommy took like a... <laughs> so weird. <laughs> what did mommy do? <laughs> mommy, give me uh, this God's blood and uh, some mud and uh, make me a human being to serve me, mommy. <laughs> That's what she did. We talked about it in the creation story that there was some kind of a realization that in humans you have this kind of a godly quality because of your ability to imagine and use language and cooperate. Even the Babylonians, the myth, the Mesopotamians, they believed as well. To create uh, humans, are, they have a godly essence in them. In some way, even Christianity is, like in Nebraska, in Rome, is preserving ancient yeah. Mesopotamian... Yeah. Islam as well, even more, because the holy language of Islam is a Semitic language. The same way that we use colloquially words that are originated in Akkad, which is quite, you know, mind-boggling. Wow. The word like sharsheret, chain, is an Akkadian word. Wow. The word chem'ah, uh, the word that we use for butter, it's yes. an Akkadian word. So in modern Hebrew, you have remnants of an ancient, ancient language spoken 6,000 years ago. In Latin, you don't have it, but in Arabic, you also have it. You also have lots of words that probably originate yes. in Sumer. Yes. Yes. Okay, so again, the internalizing of the primordialness of the city, when they, when they go through the lineages and important people, they all go on and create cities because this is the way that it started, yeah. even before the Tower of Babel. So then there's the flood story. We talked about it in previous ep- episodes. The biblical flood story is obviously very similar to the one found in the epics of uh, Gilgamesh yeah. and with Lutnapishtim. We don't have to get into the details. What is important is that it's not that they, you know, stole the mm. story or that it's like, ha ha, I found something wrong in your story. No, it was deliberately the same yeah. story that all the people around yeah. there were saying. I would look at it more as like uh, the flood genre, like you were mentioning uh, action movies. So it's like all action movies are kind of the same. It's the genre. So maybe this is like the flood genre. Floods is something that was very prominent in other places in the world where you have rivers, where you have lakes. Mm-hmm. Not here. Not in the Jordan River, no. Not in the Jordan River, maybe a little, but it's not that big of a river and it doesn't affect like the entire population. So yeah. they, again, saw in their past the same ancient stories that their whole range of peoples and the, across like a spectrum of one culture, they just accepted it and made like the, the changes to fit uh, their own style. One of the manifestations of the differences between the moral perception of the Hebrew writers and the Mesopotamians is the flood story. The reason why Yahweh, Elohim, wants to destroy humanity is because they became too much evil. They, mm-hmm. they became too much greedy. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a moral judgment. A moral judgment of something bad, i.e. being greedy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And wanting to take... wanting to conquer and wanting to, wanting to kill. Wanting to be Mesopotamian. Wanting to, exactly. The reason why uh, Enlil wants to destroy humanity mm-hmm. 
is because they are too noisy. <laughs> <laughs> the city is pretty noisy. They sit in the top of the ziggurat or whatever they're in the palace, and there's some commotion in the markets, bickering about prices or whatever. They make a lot of noise. And the elites and the aristocrats, they're sipping wine. I don't know what they drank. One of them says, I should destroy all of those people. I hate people. And then one of them says, well, no, you need to help them. They, they are angry and then because they don't have enough food and they are poor. This is like the basis of Mesopotamian mythology. It's, it's kind of like in the genre of <laughs> royal court gossip, like royal court, royal court drama. Like between elites who are looking down at people, either people are there to serve them or they are too noisy and we need to destroy them. And the God that helps in that uh, you know, <laughs> dinner party, the, the nice, the nice uh, aristocrat that kind of likes or feels sorry about the people in the story is Enki, the God of sweet water. He tells, I don't know, whatever, Atnapishtim or Utnapishtim, whatever. Yeah, he gives him a heads up. I want to go now a little bit about the classes thing and like a theory that I have about how it relates to like the nascent religions of the cities and the worship. So if you look at like most of history, uh, human societies were pretty much egalitarian, specifically with peoples who uh, were hunters or fishers, fishers? Fishermen, fisher people. <laughs> don't want to exclude. Don't want to exclude female uh, fishers <laughs> and foragers. They had religion, but they had, I think, less of an ideology. It was more simple and primal. I have something. I share. They do something for me. I do something for them. It's like societies are very simple. Once you have the possibility of irrigation, and you you have personal property. You can accumulate uh, food, you can accumulate weapons. If you have uh, horses, if you have cattle, it's property that you have to protect. So you need to have like basically people who are loyal to you mm-hmm. to protect your personal property. And then you do trade and you don't need all the people to cooperate with you. They don't have as much leverage. No, I have three houses i have three horses okay. and i have all my friends here corporation becomes exploitation yes and when you add to that uh, wheel making chariot making you need professionals you just need a few people you need like an active minority mm-hmm. and it becomes like an extreme pyramid never before seen in history up to that time where you have people on the top who you might say are the richest mm-hmm. people who have ever lived. And, for example, uh, archaeologists uh, studying the Indo-European people of the 2000, 3000, 4000 BCEs, and they see a correlation between social stratification and the elaborateness of the religious worshipping. And when you have that kind of society that is instinctively uh, something that you don't want to accept, mm-hmm. unless you're the one on the top, you have to have a lot of explanations. It's not, I, I, we share because the sun. No, now you have to have a, like an ancient story yeah. about God and the ritual has to be this way and that way because now you have slaves, now you have a lot of women that you mm-hmm. own. Yeah. 
and you have and it's something that you have a first world problems let's say and in order to keep everything working you see what I did here first world because they were, were the first uh, boom I missed that <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's when ideology comes in also today when you have to work really hard to explain something mm-hmm. that your initial reaction is to reject yeah you see uh, somebody hurting someone no 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 it's because of this and that what happened before and the history and that this is when when it becomes elaborate and intricate and the the Mesopotamian religions and other very hierarchical religions in other places in India and stuff become super Super elaborate, yeah. super complicated. elaborate, and complicated, yeah. because you have to work really hard to explain why the world looks this way. Yeah, and you always have a conflict with reality in terms of, we told you to do X, and that will bring Y, and then Y di- didn't happen, and why didn't Y did it happen? Because we didn't do X plus one. Now we do need to do X plus one and plus two, which means more for me to give to the God. <laughs> so then you have like new castes, like soldiers, priests, officials, mm-hmm. scribes. Mm-hmm. Then you have propaganda. Mm-hmm. This is like the ancient internet. Yeah. You can tell people who have never heard of you. You can tell them about how awesome you are mm-hmm. very, very, very far away. And they're like initial ideas like, no, this is a good guy. Yeah. Oh, this is a witch hunt. <laughs> It's a witch hunt against him. <laughs> One of the most prominent differences between the Mesopotamian perception and the Hebrew writer's perception is the fact that the Mesopotamian perception was from the side of the winners, of the masters. When I was young and I liked Nietzsche, <laughs> <laughs> which is the time that you should like Nietzsche when you're young, he's like hot take. On <laughs> the fall of the Jewish civilization was the fact that they changed their morals from the moral of masters to the moral of slaves. That's what they felt. More or less, it's, it's very obscure. Okay. And you need, if you read Nietzsche, you need a commentator to explain to mm-hmm. you and you know, then reject that commentator and whatever. It's <laughs> Sounds like, like it's, the Bible. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I think it's on purpose that he wrote like that. Okay. So he contrasted the Jews to the Romans. He said the Romans had the uh, moral of masters. Their legal system, their perception of morality was you lost, you pay. You are beneath me, then I have rights over you. That's like common sense. That's like the natural order. Mm. When you are used to losing and being on the periphery of the winners and just, you know, riding their tails, then your moral is like from the underdog side. It's like uh, what Nietzsche called slave moral, slave morality. I was a slave, so I can identify with other slaves. So, okay, slavery, it's, it's you know, the will of God and it's force of nature, but at least treat them nicely. You know, eating and domineering over animals, it's, yeah, it's force of nature, but at least slaughter them a little <laughs> bit more humanely. You know? It's like, uh, so that, that contrast is very mm. much apparent with the Mesopotamian. It's not only a morality of masters, but it's a morality of hierarchy, hierarchy and binary way of thinking. And yes, everybody binary. has its, his, hers place. It's very important. The fact that you had classes and 
castes. It's also like kind of a new phenomenon wow. in human experience. S- suddenly, people have spare time, like their four, 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 four fathers who had lots of spare times when they were hunter-gatherers. But only the elites have spare time. There's some kind of like a desire by elites to feel like gods. And I think that in the Mesopotamian era, it was one of the first manifestation of that desire. And you had like classes, classes of people who had specific job, not only to serve the, the people on top, but to serve their fantasies and their, their hallucinations, basically. It's not only that they had a temple which in the, le- in the earlier period of the Mesopotamian culture was the real center of the city. And in the later period, the palace was the center of the city. Mm-hmm. And the palace was the manifestation of the fantasies and desires and hallucinations of the people on the top. And I think it's like self-sorting out and just like uh, an ideology Let's call it that. It's an ideology that becomes more and more extreme because it attracts a certain kind of people that have the abilities to climb to the top of, of the pyramid, mm-hmm. the very top of the pyramid. These are incredible men. And throughout most of the third millennia BCE, you have these cities with men leading them constantly fighting against each other all the cities in perpetual war intense war that has never been seen in history up to that point so these are the kinds of men that this system attracts and promotes cruel men mm-hmm. it just becomes more and more and mm-hmm. more extreme because as we see this region becomes more monolithic politically it was balanced more of le- more or less like uh, during the early Bronze Age, and then you have Sargon of Akkad, mm-hmm. and then you have Hammurabi, yeah. and then you have the Persians, the yeah. Syrians, and then you have the Persians that rule an incredible yeah. area with one single person yeah. at the top. So like when I look at Mesopotamia, I see it like at the, as the rise of the, of the great men, the mm. rise of men mm. even. And I think that's also apparent in the Bible. In the Bible. Because, first of all, you, say, you talk about the professions, you become a professional. In the, at the beginning of the world, people have professions. Yeah. They invent professions. Yeah. This is a city yeah. thing. Yeah. And then they need to have a great man. Mm-hmm. They can't come up some other way. No, because everything is, starts with, yeah. uh, with a great person. So you have to have Abraham. So they, their great person also has to come. <laughs> from Mesopotamia. From where the great men yeah. come. Where the world was created and where there are great men and where there uh, started a proto-monotheistic religion, the trifecta, Abraham. And then we get to when Abraham comes in, basically, just like I want us to get this mental picture. One person goes out of Ur-Kasdim, a city in Ur of the Chalids in, the, in Mesopotamia and just migrates. One person. Like a particle, yeah. one tiny particle leaves this giant <laughs> cultural, political empire. And this is the time, approximately the end of the third millennia BCE. And around that time, you have Sargon of Akkad founding yeah. the first empire the yeah. world has ever seen. Like a giant area controlled by one 
mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. over like it's just like an incredible uh, human event and at the same time in the Hebrew perspective it's just like one person leaves yeah. just he's not an important person yeah he's not an accomplished person he's just a, a just like a great stand-up guy <laughs> and he just like, this dust particle of dust yeah floating away this is like the Hebrews perspective of what was going on yeah I do the important things that were going on at the time is just like oh there's a guy that's going to some other place yeah <laughs> okay great <laughs> I think it, it can tell us maybe uh, about the possible not exact dating but the fact that great men like Hammurabi and Sargon were completely forgotten and They don't have even like a, a tiny remnant as like some obscure son or son of the Yefits or Shem's grandson or something like that. So the fact that they're totally forgotten means that probably the people who imagined the distant past wrote it way, way after the fact. Yeah, way, the names way. were lost. Yeah, they're not even mentioned like the, in the Hebrew myth as the son or grandson of... Of some of Noah's children or grandchildren, even like as a as a random name of something tells me that maybe those myths were written and even told to other people much 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 later after the fact. The names are forgotten for the writers of the Hebrew Bible and the, the writers of this and the scribes of the Hebrew myth. The cities they didn't forget the cities are there the cities, the cities are constant Uruk. Erad, Eridu, they remember the names, but the people they forgot. Scholars say that uh, Cyrus the Great or even uh, Alexander the Great, all the great, all the greats, they knew Sargon of Akkad and they knew and they knew Hammurabi. They used their historical figure as some kind of a, as some kind of a role model maybe. A uniter, somebody that That uses his political power to achieve I don't know godness maybe and even you know the fact that you need to manage an empire which is for a leader for a monarch for a you know a megalomanian megalomania megalomanian psychopath it's like for a basketball basketball players doing a three-peat like Michael Jordan you know conquering the world like Cyrus the great like Sargonova could be better than them the fact that the Hebrews didn't know that but the political elites of other empires places did know about Sargon and Hammurabi means that uh, the writers of the Bible weren't that close to the elites maybe this is a hot take I don't know but like from what I know of ancient history the two most hierarchical people cultures are the Semitic people and the Indo-European people Hmm. people that went through a similar sort of evolution towards a hierarchy and accumulation of wealth and power at the top you see that in, in graveyards and uh, burials and stuff with uh, the indo-european people and other people also like the germans and celts they're also indo-european but they are less hierarchical hmm. but the ones that have won are the hierarchical so- societies that seem to be more effective. Like mm-hmm. the first empire was in Mesopotamia and empires have come and gone everywhere in the world mm-hmm. since that. 
since that time. It's interesting because one of the, I think the first games ever, board games, it's a board game from Ur, I think, 4,000 years ago. And if you look at those rivaling city-states, the perception that probably for the elites who didn't sacrifice much, unless they, were, they lost uh, and they overplayed their hands and then you know, execute, were executed, but people fought for them, it was all like kind of a game to them. And if you have this kind of a game, which is kind of like a, let's say, a team sports, mm. because you need cooperation, then uh, a hierarchical perception gives you an edge. The best basketball players who are the best in street basketball, put them, five of them, in a team against D1 college, uh, American. American college uh, kids. Well coached. Well coached. They will have an edge. They will have yes. a strong edge. And yes, people know the roles. Yeah, they complement each other mm-hmm. better. To w- when you're in competition. Yeah, when, <laughs> so this is yeah. The, when the this game's is the on, hierarchy can gives you an edge. The problem is that uh, life is not a game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the game ends. Yeah, and then you go to the locker room, and then you have different dynamics. Yeah. between the people, the yeah. hierarchy doesn't stay uh, doesn't stay the same. When you have extreme classes, you're hurting the majority of the people. You're especially disproportionately hurting women because yeah. they are less likely <laughs> to climb up the social ladder, more likely to be a slave, a concubine. When the rules ownership. of the game are based upon the specific traits and talents of certain men, mm-hmm. not all men, certain men, yes. then they retroactively explain the nature of the world then they, then they invent ideology and then mm-hmm. that ideology becomes like the operation system but before that became their own ego and their own yeah. maniacal uh, psychosis maybe even s- stuff that we can identify from what we know about psychiatry today maybe some of them had either schizophrenia or some of them had minor depressia. It's not just like, yay, hierarchy, something natural. It's a specific kind of human psyche of very charismatic, probably sick to their heads. (laughs) Yes. And I would say that it's interesting to contrast the pyramid with the ziggurat because in the Mesopotamian sphere, you had this constant Game of Thrones which meant that you had to hone in your toxic masculinity and just like make yourself like the most toxic you can in order to climb to the top. And in Egypt, it was somewhat different. It was more familial, more like court maneuvering. And Mm -hmm. then you saw women also climb to the top or near the top. And it was more stable uh, through the ages. Have less... Uh, revolutions and toppling of uh, dynasties. Yeah, you had less city-states across the Egyptian sphere. You had just yes. the centralized... Uh, yeah, and they managed to unite uh, the South Nile yeah, and the North Nile. Pretty early, yeah. yeah. Another thing, so not only patriarchy, but the enslavement and the exploitation of people was also good... For the market, for the free market, for business. Yeah. Because you have slaves. Now you can create industry and you can ship things to the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to share. Yeah. Don't need to share. 
And you so, also have uh, like you couldn't have like space for tiny entrepreneurship because uh, the rivers were very prominent in yeah, river highways yeah highways a river is not like a an ocean or a sea you can just build a raft by yourself and you know look around for customers and say ah oh, you want that I, I'll yeah. take that I'll take that yeah the and next village over yeah. the next village over the next village yeah over and then you city. can be a prominent businessman and climb up the ladder and then uh, ah. internalize your own whatever <laughs> yeah I could one day I could one day be the guy <laughs> on the top of the or pyramid or saying to other people I did it everybody oh. can do it <laughs> I imagine like you're sitting in uh, some kind of a, a fast food joint In like O or something like that. By the way, they just discovered a fast food joint mm. in Pompeii. So I believe that there was some kind of a version of like, yeah, like a know, cart, like a food cart. Food cart or like a stool or something like okay. that with cheap food. Yeah, like yeah. The most disgusting okay, basic okay. food go back ever. To, go back to the so place. So I remember that the, the guy with the, who built the raft and then bought another raft and then hired and <laughs> exploited other people to... make the deliveries for him and then had 15 raft and became raft king okay so he's saying he's saying he's going back to the old uh, neighborhood uh, next to all the losers in the stool who are complaining about the the, the new taxes and he said well, what do you complain about just build a raft yeah he doesn't <laughs> mention that his dad gave him the timber at the beginning and or that he murdered the, uh, the competition <laughs> and never told also you mentioned taxes we forgot to mention taxes yeah taxes. the invention of Taxes, taxes. The, yeah, the invention of, of uh, writing also. <laughs> We didn't mention that. Like when you cooperate as a band, you don't pay taxes to one person. Yeah. No, you pay taxes only when you have a centralized form of society and pyramid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and taxes were something that created a lot of slaves. You can't pay. You have to sell your family members yeah. to become yeah. slaves. Yeah. Debt. That was also kind of a new concept, official debt. That, that you write down. Yeah, the importance <laughs> of words became when the, those words represented property and money. Yeah. Not represented like love and... Uh, yeah. It, wasn't they, like, it, yeah. it preceded poetry. <laughs> like, it also preceded... A tab, like, uh, a tab preceded poetry. Like social activism also. Yeah. Okay, we haven't... We, we haven't talked about it in this uh, episode, Omri, but... You have been uh, harping on this uh, on several episodes about how the Bible has uh, a theme of downgrading humans. Yeah. yeah. And this could be seen as a reaction yeah. to how yeah. these great men are supposed to be, but they're still mortal. Yeah. They die. Yeah. Yahweh. That's why even the great men of the Bible... There's uh, this kind of a theme to downgrade them or downplay their extreme excellence. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the innovations, the social innovations that came from Mesopotamia and impacted the entire wider region and the entire human society. For generations and centuries and millennia to come, one might say social innovation, and uh, another way of saying that is social malaise or so, or reactions to social unrest social unrest first of all that's like the first time that you have it it's Mesopotamia when you have yeah. like a lot of poor people in cities either social unrest by the masses or even you know tiny conflicts that are 
only available when you have mass mass people interacting with each other different people under i don't know 1000 kilometers square or less so it's not only just social inventions it's like a reaction to the fact that for the first time maybe in human societies you have massive population who are interacting with each other on a very close yes um in, in geographical yeah. co- geographical place And, uh, and and those populations are very hierarchical and very warlike so you have like constant wars that last for centuries because this is where you live you know it's not like the loser can go yeah. and live somewhere else yeah and this was the first place in the world where you had like a territorial state you don't like that you have like borders that are not like the city limits and outer limits or where your camp is like you rule an entire region and maybe that way of thinking also you know filtrated slowly but surely to the hebrews and they were like okay they have uh, Eretz Shinar, the mm-hmm. land of sumer So we have Eretz Israel, the mm-hmm. land of Israel. Mm-hmm. And then also land ownership. You see that also in the Bible. I don't know of many holy texts who have like a deed of purchase yeah. Yeah. <laughs> over their place like, like they have with the tomb of the patriarchs. Let's say yeah. it's from the tree all yeah. the way to the wall. I don't think Buddha <laughs> talked a lot about that or Jesus. I don't remember his uh, takes on uh, land ownership. We said that it sounds like a legal document. It's basically a claim on a property. And uh, it's also something that was I think invented in Sumer of keeping records yeah. of ownership over land. Land wasn't just something that belongs to nature now. Now yes. it belongs to men. Yeah, and you can prove it. And you can prove it with these magical things that you <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, chisel. Carve, carve, chisel on a stone or a wax tablet. And uh, one, uh, one final thing that also might uh, be related to the later development to monotheism is standardization. So when you have like a central, let's say central government, central government that controls a large, vast area under one flag. Yeah, varied area with different people. With different people, yeah. Then standardization is... Uh, necessary. It's necessary. Yeah, weights, yeah. measurements. Yeah, and in some ways the Genesis story is kind of a... Uh, A form of uh, something that is from the standard of uh, Mesopotamia, the, st- the standardization of weights and uh, time also exceeded, uh, not exceeded, also uh, extended to the standardization of storytelling and yeah. myth. And the days of the week and standardization also of worship. Yeah, you know, you can, you're not just going to worship it the way that you want to and just like, well, you be you. No, this is how you do it. I don't know if the Romans had a seven days week. So when the Hebrews, they imagine the creation of the world in seven days, it's not a coincidence because it's, as we said, they are like the con- uh, on the same space continuum of the Mesopotamian society. So they introduced uh, debt, as we mentioned. Uh, they introduced a wealth gap. You didn't have such a institutionalized wealth gap And just like social injustice that the leader has to deal with and has to enact laws that solve all the problems that arise when you have uh, 
such a hierarchical pyramid while if you're a leader of your clan yeah then like politics is more like uh, and also negotiations and, or- and ownership and, and laws and laws are more like interpersonal yeah it's something flexible and dynamic it's not co- it's not literally carved in stone yes it, it can changes <laughs> from interaction to and interaction. we see that in the Bible as well when they imagine their past in Genesis but when we get later on to the laws this is uh, yeah 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 so when you have many people together you need laws because the interpersonal connections it's impossible to use them to solve conflicts yeah. you need something to Need the standardization of law yeah and we see even even now hey I, it's right that I was speeding but I was alone in the road okay I can't make a law for yeah. you personally exactly. that you're a good driver and you're alone in the road yeah. no standard you can't yeah. go over that limit yeah and it will create some injustices but hey Sagon of Akkad <laughs> did it <laughs> we can't do any better it's not pure justice but It's the best ju- justice that a society can have, but it's never even that <laughs> I, I don't believe it. it their justice sucked. <laughs> the Mesopotamian justice sucked. Even now justice suck in the modern world. Most of the time justice is unjust and it sucks. And maybe that was also where like cynical politics were yeah. maybe first created because when you have so much propaganda that is obviously very far yeah. from uh, from reality and you have to maneuver all these different interests and I want to appear this way and appear that way and you have to make alliances with other alpha males that consider themselves semi-gods or whatever you have to use a lot of brain power uh, intricacy I think a uh, Staying like uh, invented or created there, I think, uh, for, in my opinion, it's kind of misleading. Yeah. I think it's more proper to say emerged. There was some kind of, yeah, a reaction to some kind of a phenomenon, yes. social phenomenon, yes. human phenomenon. That we know, but they didn't know because yeah, the first time. Yeah. Oh my goodness, when there are a lot of poor people, they don't like it. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. Okay. When a woman loses uh, her husband and her uh, way to support uh, her family, she either needs to sell herself to slavery or become, uh, sell her body. And that's also like a new phenomenon. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Okay. So uh, let's wrap up uh, the Mesopotamian exceptionalism uh, episode. If you enjoyed it, then maybe you could leave a review if you're listening to it uh, on a platform that uh, offers reviews like iTunes, Apple Podcasts. And on our site, we have a page to go along with this episode. So if you go to podcast.biblicalproportions.com, podcast.biblicalproportions.com, you can see pictures and maps uh, to go along with, uh, with the text that, uh, you know, accompanies and hopefully enhances uh, your experience and uh, understanding. And if you want to drop us a line and uh, send us a message, uh, we've been getting a lot of messages. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's helpful. Yeah, yeah. People have interesting ideas, interesting thoughts, insights, mm-hmm. questions. Uh, and so may we give shout outs. And we give shout outs. Uh, so thank you everybody for tuning in. We'll see you all next time. Bye everybody. Bye.